Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasai Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Hi, from Cleveland, Ohio, on a cloudy January day, I'm Vanessa Hildebrand here with Professor Renee Santils. She is the Henry Eldridge Bourne Professor of History at Case Western Reserve University. And we're here today to talk about her book, American Tomboys from 1850 to 1915, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. This is not Renee's first book. She, um, in 2003, wrote Performing Mencken, Ada Isaac Mencken, The Birth of American Celebrity. Hi, Renee. I'm so happy to be here with you. Hi, me too. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Um, as a cultural anthropologist specializing in the health of women and infants, I find this book really fascinating and powerful um, in, in, in the way that it describes society and transition in many ways. And in particular, what, what you're talking about is this prominent tension um, in the transition of how we think about or how um, people thought about the roles of women in society. And your book in particular focuses on a very interesting period of time, which I hope you'll talk about a little bit later, um, between the American Civil War and World War I. Um, so to begin this conversation, I want to start at the end of the book. And you end the book by saying, tomboys remain girls who identify with not belonging, regardless of progress, or perhaps because of progress that never quite reaches the desired conclusion. The tomboy identity allows girls and women the pleasing paradox of being able to articulate discomfort with conformity through an easy, easily recognized yet malleable concept. A concept, in fact, that each girl shapes herself. And you're talking about the idea of tomboy. So why do you think we need to talk about tomboys and who are they? So this gets back to, of course, the purpose of every historian, which is to um, talk about the past through the lens of the present. So the present is what creates the questions that we bring to the past. So we need That's to talk fascinating. about <laughs> we need to talk about tomboys because the questions that we have about where we are now with gender and how it's constructed and how we live with it um, and um, we're part of society, but we also are have our internal sense of who we are and how to bring those things together. Oh, that's great. Um, so building on that. What would you say is the major argument of this book? So I'm looking specifically at how gender is being restructured um, in this period, as you said, from the Civil War to Civil War to World War One, um, particularly as uh, the pressures come down to youth. So in other words, this is the period where you're having 
um, the public school movement. You're having higher education opening for girls. You're having girls growing up with a sense beyond their own families that women are entering public life and they're going into professions. Often within their own families, they're not seeing that, but they're reading about it. And so it's really about how this gendering of youth is happening as part of these shifting gender ideas in this period. Hmm. So, um, so let's move to the building on that, then the contributions of this book specifically. Okay, so one of the things that's fascinating about the tomboy is, as many of people know who study gender, is that gender is a term that most people think of as a stable thing. So in other words, there are two genders. Um, and, and recently we've had, of course, uh, a real spate of trying to come up with, I think there are, I, I don't even know how many categories of gender people have come up with. And we're very much in this idea of a spectrum of gender. But there's still lingering behind that, an idea that there was a stable gender before, right? That there mm-hmm. was a binary Very that was much. stable, yeah. right? And so that is a, a, is a myth. I mean, really, gender is a term that has to change because it's an organizing structure for society. It's created by society. It's often believed to be given by nature or by God. But in fact, it changes according to contemporary times. So... In other words, um, who owns what tools? Gender divisions of labor. Those change according to the needs of a time. And that's what I mean by gender changing. Seemingly stable. But in fact, it has to be flexible for it to work. Mm-hmm. right? So the tomboy is an interesting term because in this sort of unstable boys do this, girls do this, this can shift around, you get this tomboy identity mm-hmm. that essentially says that girls will always be girls. Even when they behave like boys, they will always be girls. It's this stabilizing term in the midst of this unstable um, phenomenon. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's very, it's very interesting because uh, while you're, you're, you're describing how gender has always been a, 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 an unstable category, the, the one stable factor is that there's this category of tomboy. And is that... Did, well, I think that's that right? true. I don't want to be... I mean, I do want to say that gender is... Ideas in every culture and society across the world, gender is also tied to biology. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's entirely unstable. But what I mean is what a boy and a girl is allowed to do shifts mm-hmm. all the time. But the tomboy, because she's always what she's doing, is counterfeit. She's always doing what actually belongs to the other gender. Mm-hmm. In a sense, it lends stability. So she might be upsetting the apple cart, but she's not really because she's just doing it as a borrower. Um, I see. Now, boys can't do this. Right. Because masculinity is, is the, the ultimate, right? Masculinity is the thing that's, that everybody wants, supposedly. So girls can want to be like boys because masculinity is, is the highest preferred preferred exactly but boys can't want to be like girls because that's wanting to be subordinate right wanting to be the helper right rather than the the leader okay so there's no there's there's no kind of there's no more ambiguous category for for girls i mean for boys well there is but it's not Tomboys are, are beloved yeah. and 
I mean, they're, it's often like, oh, she's such a tomboy, was supposedly a negative thing. But even when it was used as a negative thing in like the 1880s, girls would take pride in it. They would say, oh, you know, she says I'm such a tomboy, but in fact, you know, I'm just strong. Or whatever. I mean, they, they don't necessarily take it the same way. But to be called a sissy is really the this, this supposed equivalent in at least late 19th century, early 20th century language. And it's never positive for boys. Right. So it's, there's no beloved sissy figure, at least in the period I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe more in contemporary times, there's, there's, you know, maybe there's starting to be a love for the sissy figure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just fascinating. So, um, but one thing I, I, I want to get to before we get too far is that is talking about is it, so where is it that you get to the archival material or the data and um, to understand all these things and understand the, how, how people thought of and, and the cultural space for this category of tomboy at that period of time. So I would really not recommend the way I went into this project. <laughs> so because it was crazy. I basically, I started out with this idea of as I said before, there are these girls growing up in the late 19th century, and I had nieces who were growing up. I had these little nieces I was really close to, and I was wondering, like, well, how are they seeing the world? Like, mm-hmm. what do they see out there? Mm-hmm. And so I kept thinking, well, what do girls see in the late 19th century, in the middle of you know, the women's rights movement and abolition, and you know, it's the end of the Civil War, and it's the rise of, of the cities, and they're, and they're reading in these story papers. They're reading about these young women who are graduating from college and following their careers in voice or entertainment or, you know, that there's glamorous figures out there. Now, they're not in their own families, but they're out there in the public world. So how are they imagining themselves in this public world? And that made me start to think about this question about when is it okay for a girl to behave like a boy or to take on masculine privileges? Mm-hmm. And so then I thought, well, I'll do a little piece on tomboys. And I'll just try to figure this out. And of course, it was like, uh, you know, like a, a knot, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it just kept pulling out um, <laughs> because I had this question. And what I discovered was, okay, so first of all, the term tomboy has been around since the 1500s. So, really? and you can just look that up in the OED. But it's used, you can even find it in 19th century American newspapers. Um, and it's until the really 1850s, I don't find it being used for girls as often as for boys in American newspapers. Usually if it's a tomboy in these stories, I found it was a boy character. So it used to refer to boisterous boys or girls and um, adult women who were promiscuous, slightly, you know, like not quite appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so what happens is by the 1850s, 60s, the, t- the term within the United States really comes to mean only girls. Like, boys are not called tomboys. If you called a boy a tomboy now, people would look at you like, what are you talking about? A tomboy's a girl. Um, now, adult women can be called tomboys, but there's a sense that it's about a youthful play, right? Which is kind of interesting given that we have the category of tomcat. Well, actually, that comes up. Tomcat, so... I looked, I looked at this. I was trying to figure out how they're connected because there's Tom Turkey and Tom Cat, which both mean male. And so Tom Boy is like a male boy. 
but yet it's a counterfeit boy. So it's kind of a funny term. The French term for tomboy, garçon malqué, actually makes a lot more sense because it's a failed boy. Mm-hmm. But in the English language, it's it's a male boy. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a double boy. Um, but so, but you're asking about the archival stuff. So, so I had this question, and I thought, well. I'm going to go to diaries and letters and try to find uh, people talking about being a tomboy. So I tried to find, and I really thought I I wanted to stick with young women. Um, And it took me a while to even figure out the aging thing, because really, counter to what we often think now, people considered young people youth until their early 20s I mean there wasn't the sense of 18 you're an adult that's actually quite a bit later and so there was a sense that um I wanted to figure out the adolescent period and the adolescent period really stretches from like 12 to 21 essentially Mm -hmm. um and I wanted to um look for diaries of of girls and women who were writing that period and so I went to all the published diaries and I found you know I went to the Schlesinger and um the Sophia Smith collection uh, at Smith College, the Schlesinger collection, of course, at Harvard, um, and tried to find, you know, all the unpublished diaries. And, of course, they're wonderful books by women's historians using diaries. So I just went through all these, you know, just looking, looking, looking for these for these diaries and, and sources. Um, but when I was reading the literature on tomboys, because, well, my book is the only book that deals with the history of tomboys, um, I should say that's not quite true because there's a book by um, Michelle Annabate called, um, um, I think it's called Tomboys, and it's called A Literary and Cultural History. Um, she really does more literary history than cultural history. I mean, she comes more she's from a liter- Yeah, she's coming from more of a literature background. And so her text really deals more with tomboys in cultural expression. So um, really movies and um and fiction and almost everything out there are tomboys that's what it looks at because if you're really looking for representation of tomboys it's easiest to find in cultural expression mm-hmm. tomboys become these popular figures mm-hmm. um especially after little Women comes out in 1868 i mean they show up in Godey's lady's book and newspaper stories um all over the country well before 1868 and little women but with little women Louisa May Alcott takes this tomboy figure and makes her far more complicated and much more alluring because Joe March, I don't know if you've read the book, like, are you one of the few people who hasn't? No, I know you have. (laughs) (laughs) Of course um, I've read the book. Of course you've read the book. It's not the movie. Um, No, um, she's an intellectual and she's ambitious. She's not just a girl who who behaves like a boy and is frustrated by the lack of freedoms of being a girl. But she actually wants to go out and fight in the war, and she wants to paddle her own canoe. That's actually a quote from the real Alcott, not not Joe March. Um, and so um, she complicates it. And once that happens, there's a slew of tomboy books that come after that. Mm. Like it just becomes this really popular thing. So you start to see this build up of the figure, and then it's building up in the popular press. So you start to see more and more of these tomboy stories. And unlike, I mean, one of the reasons why Little Women remains such, I think, a classic is because of the tension around Joe not wanting to marry Laurie and not wanting to marry. 
Um, because the classic tomboy story, of course, is that she starts out saying she wants boyish freedoms, but as soon as she reads, meets a real man, she falls in love and realizes the quiet heroism of women in society mm-hmm. and how they really make the whole thing work. Mm-hmm. And so um, you get a lot of those stories. So, uh, so, so my point is in the archives, I started out looking at diaries and, and, sto- and letters. And I went to Tulane Special Collections. I went all over the country. And, and then I started reading the literature on tomboys and realized I really needed to get at the cultural expression. So I ended up doing you know, a chapter in domestic fiction and a chapter in Western fiction. Um, but also it got me into ideas about the campfire girls and Girl Scouts and what does it mean to be a boy if you're, if girls are supposed to, are behaving like boys, well, what are boys behaving like? What are they told to behave like? Um, and um, new women, is the new woman just a grown-up version of the tomboy? And so I, it just kept going exponentially. So I wouldn't recommend my method, which is to have a question and walk into like whatever sources you can find. Um, and so it, it, I use, a, I use newspapers, plays, films. Um, I only go up to 1915 in part because most of the tomboy uh, scholarship is about the 20th century. And also almost all of it is about, um, well, no, I shouldn't say that. The other reason is because the the film industry changes, and that's going to have a big impact on tomboys. Oh, and I right. really didn't want to bring up the whole new film industry thing. Yeah, I only get as far as silent films. Well, that changes the era, really. And, you know, right, that changes it, it changes the everything. Oh and my so god, you kind of have to stop there, and that's that's another book. You know, that's it's that's a whole another... other book, and it's actually a book that other people have written parts to. Yeah, so. Um, it wasn't as necessary. There was no book that got at where this term came from and why, like how it developed and mm-hmm. what the nuances were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very clear to me right away that a lot of it had to do with um, girls for the first time being taken out of the home, going into schools, competing with boys in schools, going out into the workforce after their secondary education or their elementary education, actually. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then also being in worlds with boys, not under the eyes of their parents. And so they're really taken away from sort of the mother's um, protection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole new modern world that you can see gender reshaping within. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I... You know, it's a, it just that's a period where so much changed oh all God, the end. But you, you wonder. I mean, gender roles and gender norms are are so much so critical to the 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 stability and the and the, and the touch point for so many other things in society. How we understand everything, you know, about who other people are and how society is ordered. You know, the right. organization of family and the organization of gender roles, and so. It, it it's a fascinating period. Well, I think what's important about the tomboy is that in many ways she's an imaginary figure. Mm. So because she becomes this popular figure in literature, she becomes, girls are living through fiction. I mean, yeah. once women learn to read, once girls start going to school and learning to read, they take over as the writers and the readers in the American population. I mean, they are writing the stories in the story papers. They're, they're reading them. They're the major 
drivers of the publishing industry. And, and even under male by, uh, bylines and the like? Um, or yeah. still using, or, or, or starting to more frequently use... Oh, using female, their, names their, their names. For the story paper. So there's, there's a kind of, it's like a newspaper, but it's fiction. So it's kind of like today's television or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like where people would get their stories. And it gets quickly taken over by women writers. And the major writers of the 19th century are Eden Southworth, Fanny Fern, Harriet Beecher Stowe. And so Eden Southworth was more widely read than any other author in the 19th century, mm-hmm. by far, by men and women and children, because her story was the cover story of the main story paper, the name of which is now escaping my, my memory bank. Um, and so there were women, really, there was a very, a, a real sense for girls within their own, with their very, you know, because most women were still married, women with children were still at home with their children if they could be, which was certainly the middle class, which was the major uh, producers and consumers of these papers. And um, so even though in their private home they weren't seeing this, in their imaginations they're taking all kinds of different roads, different paths into the future, into their future lives. And so the tomboy becomes this really wonderful figure there's a great story it's in one of the chapters where um this girl gets like a prize-winning essay and she talks about how her favorite characters are like the tomboys because she loves to live alone with their adventures she herself is a good girl she's very careful to say and does not behave like that but she is most thrilled by those adventures and so they become these vehicles for um I could say rebellion, but it almost seems more like claiming one's own agency. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, and I I mean this also into a segue into the next question. But that it's interesting that you know you have this the 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 consumption of these stories um, are are a way that people are talking about this category. So these story papers. And, and as, you know, in anthropological research, we talk about, we, you know, because of course we're, do, we're looking at the contemporary era. And, and so we talk to people about, you know, what is it you do? And then we watch people do it. And then we talk to them about what they did. And those things yes. are always different. Right. But so there's this, this interesting interplay between the, the stories they're listening. And then you, through your research, you, ha- you looked at not just those stories, not just the fiction, but all these other sources. So you're oh, right. kind of able to do that Ooh. in an interesting way because you're, <coughs> you're, you're looking at um, what the stories and then what they're say- talking about it through diaries and then, and then mm. all kinds of others. So, so you're able to triangulate this idea of the tomboy in a very, very interesting way. But that, that's leading, what I wanted to, to lead to was um, you mentioned that it's mostly middle class white girls and right. people who are reading these papers. Um, and you also say in the book um, that in this era, the tomboy is white and largely middle class. So, right. So I don't want to. Okay. So there are African American <coughs> girls and women who are reading these story papers too, mm-hmm. but the portion of 
just in terms of proportion of the population, that's just not a very large portion of the population yeah. um, because most African-Americans are denied any access to, to school and let alone getting newspapers Buying that are, a newspaper that are right, or... sold in urban areas so in, because most African-Americans are largely ur, um, rural in these periods. So that isn't to say there aren't um, you know, figures like Charlotte of Fort and Grimke or Ida Wells who later, like, they love Little Women. Like, uh, mm-hmm. there are lots of, of African-American women who really identify with Joe March and Little Women. Um, Barbara Sickerman has this amazing article about this. Um, so it's, it's not to say that there weren't people of color reading this, but there's this, basically, this is, this is so basic <laughs> that you're going to be like, well, yeah, the publishers were white mm. and they're selling papers to a middle class audience that's white they assume if you're a girl or woman that means you're white so to be a girl or woman in itself means white right yeah so they that, that's not simple that's that's worth no it's, it's definitely worth i mean that's right that's... so so well it's important in this sense because the tomboy figure seems like this incredible figure of of liberation in many ways for modern women. But if you look at the stories, the tomboy stories, and again, this is what sets, I think, little women apart and actually complicates things, is that no matter how much freedom and how how fun she is as a tomboy, um, she needs to settle down and become an adult woman. Mm-hmm. And that means getting married and cheerfully taking on the yoke of motherhood and subordination. And the idea is that white girls can behave in uncouth ways when they're young because they're going to grow up to be real white middle-class women. And it's almost like it's just racially there. That's what's going to happen. Whereas a black girl of color misbehaving and acting boyish, um, well, first of all, the white population doesn't see her in the same way. They're not going to call her a tomboy. They're just Mm -hmm. going to say she's uncouth. Um, mm-hmm. Among the African American population, we know um, Ida B. Wells' daughter, Alfreda Duster. Um, she she said when she was young, she was called a tomboy. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the few references I have from an African American woman saying that. And the the problem I have with that gets to another contribution of this book, which is really I just think really fascinating, which is that girls and women rarely want to call themselves tomboys in the moment. Um, they want to do so retrospectively. And this is true from the 18, literally 1880s to the present. Um, So there's this whole section of my book where uh, I talk about how, like if you go to almost every great woman biography, she starts out as a tomboy. Because of course she would be a tomboy if she was going to grow up to be this woman that doesn't right. just fit the mold, right? right. right. And, and so all these women go and they think, no, I, I thought for myself I was a real tomboy. Like there's a sense of rebellion that's tied to that, right? Yeah. So um, so I think I'm gone in kind of a circle here. But, but so the whiteness, um, and it's not just girls of color. It's also um, immigrant girls are not seen as tomboys. Um, well, a lot of those, the immigrant girls weren't seen as, as white. white. <laughs> right, that's true. That's true, because white is being figured out. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is it. It's really about whiteness about, is about being civilized. Mm-hmm. And civilized means a particular and sense of etiquette. Right. You're, you're making air, I'm making, yeah, 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 making air quotes that nobody can see. <laughs> um, so 
but the, when you think about it, if you go to this, if you look at this period and you're not looking at children and you're not looking at tomboys, you're going, oh yeah, it's the age of Jim Crow. It's the age of eugenics. Of course, you know, these, these ideas of, that are being about children, marketed to children and marketed to adults about children are going to be all about whiteness and and sort of so there's a white privilege to being a tomboy yeah a tomboy is allowed to behave like a boy because she's i'm using like a boy in air quotes again yeah because um she's gonna outgrow it right and she knows better her blood will tell her better right her blood will tell her better right and so, but that's not going to be true of all those other girls. They're just yeah. going to grow up to be the same uncouth people they've been all along. So, now you don't really see tomboy, I mean, it does become a non-racialized term around the 1950s is when you, it's really Althea Gibson is the first one who gets called publicly by the white community is called the tomboy from Harlem. She's a, a tennis player, this mm-hmm. incredible tennis player. You see, if you go to like, um, the Baltimore, um, I think the Baltimore American, right? Um, African American major newspaper, you see, or the Chicago Defender, you see, um, God, I think I'm mixing up my newspaper names. I'm worried I'm going to get caught by historians. Um, <laughs> you see articles sort of denigrating tomboy ways in the early 20th century. So you don't see it really picked up as a positive among the African-American community and used more across racial lines until the second half of the 20th century. That's really interesting. Um, That actually brings me to sexuality, which I address too, which is that it's often now seen as a term connected with, um, it almost seems retro to say lesbianism Um, for a long time, you know, tomboy, a lesbian was seen, but now it's almost like, it doesn't necessarily have to do with sexuality at all. But that was true. Uh, it, tomboy was not connected to sexuality until roughly the 1920s. Um, and then it gets more and more connected through literature and, and cultural sources um, and even diaries um, with sexuality. Um, and it's still something that people go back and forth on. Like, you know, um, well, I shouldn't say they still do, but if you, if you, well, they kind of do. I think they do. Yeah. That if you're a tomboy, does that mean that you're, that you're gay or straight? Or, then it opens the right. question. It opens a question. Exactly. By society. Right. Right. Why do you think all of a sudden sexuality becomes part of a description or a, the, the, the definition of tomboy? Well, that's kind of an easy one because around the 1920s is when Freud and all of that, I mm. mean, basically sex is the central human experience mm-hmm. is what Freud is arguing. But then there's Freud and then there's like all the people propagating Freud and doing all the different versions of Freud. And you see this in, um, and it's really fascinating the way this plays out in even like creations of like the campfire girls. I mean, they're not talking about sexuality per se, but they are talking about like, how do we keep girls in a, uh, that's not really a sexual role. I guess I'm getting far away from sexuality. Um, there's a lot of wrestling with this that's mm-hmm. going on in around the 1920s. And so yeah, everything becomes about sex. If you look at American, I swear, I feel like the 20th century was like a, a sex obsessed century. <laughs> and it's not like sex hasn't always been important in every century mm-hmm. and with every human being in their own way. But 
it was as if no one could think about anything else. And if you go to the 19th century, I always say this to my students now, because in some ways there's so much more sexual freedom and fluidity in the 19th century often than you even see now without the need to have all the categories. So, but it feels like in the middle is this, is this I mean, we talk about it with the rise of the, the American Psychiatric Association in the 18, is it 1890s, mm-hmm. where they start to commodify what's considered normal and what's considered deviant. Mm-hmm. And then you get Freud and his articulations, and you get Margaret Mead and her articulations of cultural relativism, and everybody's talking about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so tomboys go from being seen as an expression of boyish freedom and joy to a desire to have a penis or mm-hmm. to be with be in that role with another girl. Yeah. So don't you at some point talk about um forgive me if I'm not correct, but tomboys are kind of seen as almost sexless. Oh yeah. Oh yeah totally. Um that that's actually during the, part the period of the you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, the earlier period. So in all of these, it just comes up in all the stories. I mean, it's kind of like, again, I keep referencing Little Women, and whoever listens to this, if they haven't heard Little Women, they're going to want to, like, strangle me by the end. But she's a good, because she's such a figure that so many people know, um, just the fact that she doesn't want to get married and she's not interested in this, that's really more the way the tomboy came across in most yeah. of these stories. Was It's not that, it's, she just didn't even think about it. Like, she yeah. was all about her sense of fun and 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 you know pranks and hunting and fishing and and skating and and physical fun and not at all about um i'm just totally my mind just went blank um about sexual interest or or reproduction oh or nothing not, yeah nothing. exactly it's, it's not about any of that thank you yeah yeah so speaking of reproduction um you you talk about in the book that there's a connection between nature and tomboy and the tomboy is seen kind of as a more natural girl oh absolutely so so part of that's getting back that's actually more of a um as you get closer to the turn of the century, and this also ties into the campfire girls and the Girl Scouts and the turn Boy Scouts, the, century, the turn of the twentieth century, okay, twentieth century. So, um, so the the period I'm covering. Yeah. So um, there's a sense that if you look at uh, like children's stories with tomboys at the, around this late like 1880s, 1915 period, a lot of the girls are mountain girls, mm-hmm. girls who have sort of they're almost like half feral. Um, there's a sense they often have long black hair and dark snapping eyes. Mm -hmm. And actually this is true in the dime novel Westerns too. There's often that same sort of phenotype. Um, so there's a sense that they're almost, uh, and they have tan skin. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense that they're sort of Native American-esque is what it always makes me think because there's a sense that they're one with the land and nature and, um, and there, some of that idea that a girl takes pleasure in being in nature and and fun and is connected to it is what um, these organizers of of the scouting groups are trying to do is basically like let's take these urban youth 
that are losing health and they're losing the sense of what it means to be male and female. And let's take them out into the woods as children and then reconnect them with their older traditional past through nature. And that will make the girls more domestic and the boys more self-sufficient. Hmm. Will, and the girls more self-sufficient, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is they're gonna, they're gonna learn to cook over a campfire and they're gonna realize how interesting cooking is. And they're going to build tents and they're going to recognize how home building is important. Hmm. Um, and there's a sense of, of, you know, that idea of bringing the youth of the urban areas back to nature. Oh, yeah. To, to, to save our society. We see, see that so oh, often. yeah. If you want to save the kid or the teenager, yeah, especially. Yeah, send them to you, a farm in the summer. Yeah, you throw yeah. them into the wilderness. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, there are so many programs. I don't know how effective they are. Or I don't not, know, but, <laughs> but there are a lot this, of programs. This prevalent idea. Yeah, and so this is this this idea, and so there's the sense that tomboys are are just more attuned to that. So you know, they'll tap nature. into their their natural, natural instinct. Maybe. It's really funny though. There's a um, there's a book by Anya Jabor, and she says, and it's really on um, Southern girls, and she says, and I think this is really true. What I've come to realize in this research is that. There, there's a much more, um, boys are in a smaller box. Um, they are supposed to want to get out in the world and do all these things and be active. Girls, if you look at their lives, get to be, a, have a much broader field. Mm-hmm. They are in the home and they, they're very much so, but they're also active and outside. And so in a way, the girls do everything. It's the boys who don't do everything. And so what is used to set the boys apart isn't that the boys only do part of it, but that the girls only do the other part. If that makes mm, sense? Yes. And I, I see it constantly. In, in contemporary. And in contemporary life, too. Yeah. yeah. Masculinity is, a, is a, um, in some ways a much uh, more constricted... Uh, and, and a lot of what I deal with with this book, too, that I think makes it valuable, and I would like to see someone do more work on it, is the difference between adult masculinity and boyish masculinity because what i would argue is boyish masculinity is available to girls and adult women it's adult masculinity that's not so in other words boyish masculinity is is like i said pranks and fun and out in nature and you know just kind of sloppy and um and not caring about etiquette Um, it's not about protecting others it's not about amassing fortunes it's not about power in the public world, right? Right. And so... And girls and women are not supposed to do None that. of those things. But they yeah. can do all the boy things. Yeah. So boyish masculinity, I think, is actually significantly different than adult masculinity. Yeah. And I haven't really seen anyone really talk about that. Uh, the closest is E. Anthony Rotundo, who does some stuff on American boyhood. But that book has been out for 30-something years. And um, so I'm not sure... There's, I've seen some. There's a book on feral boyhood. There's a little bit, but there's, but I haven't seen anyone really get at boyish masculinity. Yet. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, that's, that's so true. I mean, women, women in, um, you know, all, all over in, in the work world are not supposed to behave as as when many of those masculine traits. You know, amassing fortune, talking about money. Um, ambition. Ambition. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Like the, the brutal truth that you speak. I mean, then you're a bitch if you're a woman. And yeah. if you're a man, you're just assertive. Right. I mean, that's really a kind of masculinity, right? Yeah. 
Well, in kind of a related term, um, because they're talking mostly about adult women, um, you know, Tomboy had a real moment in the fashion industry not too long ago. Yes, and you Um, kept sending me pictures. We kept talking about it. About 2012 to 2016, I I was trying to remember, you know, when this was, you know, it it didn't matter where you looked and what catalog or... You know, um, Vanessa Friedman, the fashion writer in the New York Times, so it was writing about it. Um, and there was all these Instagrams of like, yeah. yeah and so, so there's just, you know, a wide, wide array of fashion houses were somehow mm-hmm. discussing Tomboy. Tomboy was part of the narrative in some way or another. And as an anthropologist, I always find that there's a, there's a really close association between what's happening in the fashion world and, and um, contemporary cultural preoccupations. So what do, you, what do you think was happening? Well, so I look at that, and I actually think it, it comes up in other periods. Like if you look at the 1920s, I think you can see it. I think you can see the 1950s. And I'm thinking about how, like if you go to newspapers there was like all this like tomboy fabric and tomboy shoes and mm-hmm. you know and then there was actually like tomboy canned milk and tomboy like tomboy mm-hmm. vegetables I mean there was like tomboy but tomboy became connected with spiritedness right uh. and so it's about this joyful playful spirit but it's also what I think of as the sexy tomboy so almost all that tomboy stuff no it was really funny because you sent me pictures of like oh god some of it like I had no idea how it was tomboy like yoga wear that was tomboy? Tomboy what? yoga wear, Like I don't right. get that. Or there was like, um, I think there was one on furniture that you sent me, like the tomboy living room. And I couldn't figure <laughs> out why. And, and to me, I think they're just trying to take this very um, clean line moderns and put tomboy on it as if it's appealing to women. Um, but it's it's got that little spunk. I mean, tomboy has a cachet now. Right. Yeah. It's like spunk. But I think often of, of like the Jennifer Lawrence character, and I don't mean her as a person because I really don't know her as a person, but this persona where she'll like, you know, be messy and eat a hamburger or like uh, be goofy, but she's sexy and she's gorgeous. And mm-hmm. so she can do the pranky behavior and the tomboy and, and still be, and she's alluring in that way. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the tomboy styles that came I mean it was all sexy tomboys mm-hmm. it was all beautiful women with short hair with boyish clothes that they the toughness of it emphasized that they were female mm-hmm. so I mean and which really does work for the tomboy term because the whole term tomboy emphasizes that the person is female right right no matter how they behave but this gets me to um, one of my favorite things is if you go to the internet and you Google um, how to dress like a tomboy or tomboy, it'll give yeah. you this wiki uh, links. On, on There's this thing with little cartoons that tells you exactly how to dress and oh, what really? I see as a tomboy. Yeah, and how to behave as a tomboy. And it says things like, you know, don't talk too much, you know, because boys don't say much. And like, you know, only wear these colors and... Um, you can have one girlfriend, but you can't like hang out with a whole group. Like this, all this like rules for what a tom, how you can identify yourself, so that people will go, "She's a tomboy." It, and that's a that's a wiki. So who's defining that? Uh, you know, good question. I don't really know. I like to know who even did the drawings, and the drawings are funny too because, again, they're like these sexy curvy figures and like boys 
you know, like, you know, sex clothes. I mean, it's kind of the same kind right. of... Right, wearing jeans it's, and it's a, a t-shirt. But... but it does get at this idea of tomboy as, a, as an identity that you take on and take off, which is what it becomes more of, I think, by the contemporary terms. People will say back on their youth and say, I was a tomboy. But if you look at, um, like, young people in college a girl might dress more tomboy like one day and more girly girl the other. There's actually a great website called Tomboy Stories where these people write in their personal stories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them will say, well, I'm a tomboy, but sometimes I'm a girly girl, you know, and, and that it's it's not necessarily a permanent identity. It's a performance like everything else. Hmm. And I think there's more of a, a recognition be, because there's more of a recognition in general that gender is performed and not necessarily owned. Right. And so performing for whom? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, for my last question, I'm wondering if um, you'd say a little bit about... See what our time is. Um, what are, what's your next project? Oh, <laughs> um, well, the next project has nothing to... So writing this book, I used to say it was like writing a symphony. I mean, it was just like so many parts and so much going on. And I, after this, I was like, I just want to write pop songs. I don't want to write a <laughs> symphony. So I'm doing this book on um, trying to use basically historic shoes um, as entry points into women's history. So like these pictures of, of alluring shoes and then the woman who might have worn them and what her life might have been like and what that tells us about the women in those period and what their options were. So what are the shoes of a tomboy? Well, it depends what time period mm-hmm. you're talking about. So one of the things about my book is if you look at the cover, I remember I ran across this this painting, and it's three little girls on a swing, and they're in dresses, and it said three tomboys on a swing when I found it. And I was like, what? From 1868. I was like, those aren't tomboys. And by the time I finished the book, I was like, oh, no, those were tomboys in 1868 right. because they were standing on the swing and acting out. So if you look at the tomboy shoes in 1850, they're going to look like all the other shoes. Um, But if you're talking about tomboy shoes in the present, you're talking about Converse, right? Like kind of retro. Yeah. But interestingly, I mean, as I have an adolescent, two adolescent daughters, that's where what all of them wear. Well, that this is exactly the issue is why the term is so funny is because that's why people say it's outdated because girls just dress like boys now. But my, my son was on, a, um, I write about this in the book, he was on a t-ball team. And there were all these girls playing t-ball. And I swear, there was one girl that everyone identified as a tomboy. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting because they were all playing t-ball. And they were all, you know, had a range of things. But there was just something about her that was more boyish than the other girls as defined by by the adults by the adults uh, sitting there right right by the adults i think if you told her i don't know what she would have said she yeah, might because because yeah, i mean as you talk about in the book people don't identify themselves often don't identify themselves at the moment or the girls identify as tomboys but in retrospect like if, yeah, but I think if it's a positive thing now, and mm-hmm. she she might say, yeah, I'm a tomboy. Because I remember being that age and thinking, I'm a tomboy. And because I'm like, you know, I live out in the woods because we lived in rural Missouri. And I run around and I play in mud or whatever. 
and saying this to my dad, he's like, oh my God, you are so not a tomboy. You're way too feminine. And just being like, what? Like, mm-hmm. because I think there can be a sense of I'm a tomboy because I'm, I have a good sense of self, that that's part of what being a tomboy is. Yeah. And you felt you could go out and do and play yeah. anyway. And, and as soon as he said I wasn't, I felt demoted. Yeah. So I think it can go both ways, then and now, and probably in the future. <laughs> well, Renee, thank you for thank writing you. this book. This was fun. It's oh, thank an, you for it's, it's an amazing piece, and and um, I'm I'm assigning it to my my sociology and anthropology class on gender, and I know that they will really enjoy it. Um, So thank you for writing it. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online. S-H-C-Y dot org.